Troops, here we are again. Another Eagle podcast. Uh, I'm joined tonight by a friend of mine. Uh, first met him in the veteran-owned business community. Uh, really liked his stuff. Really liked the message that we're promoting on Instagram. Uh, he's a mountain leader like myself. However, they come at it from a slightly different point of view. Uh, great point of view. Uh, Mark from Mad Dog Adventures. Mark, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, John. Thanks a lot for having me. What does that mean? All right, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I thought I thought you were playing tricks with us there, mate. You just went you went still. <laughs> yeah, I think cool. um how are you doing? Yeah, very good, mate. Enjoying my day off today. All right. Oh, day off. Um so sorry, yeah, I lost you a little bit there. So what is um Mad Dog Adventures? Um, so it's a bit of a, a dream between two best mates. Um and then we roped a third one in. Um and I suppose it's, an, it's a way that three blokes with responsibilities and families can continue to go off and have adventures in the mountains and justify it. Um, that's what it honestly is. And if, uh, you know, clients-wise, yeah, it's, it's an adventure business. It's, uh... So I know the story, but for those people out there in podcast land, where did it start and how did it start? So uh, one of my business partners I've known since I was 13 at school, um, yeah. we'd always talked about doing Everest Base Camp. That was a bit of a, a bucket list goal for us, uh, something we said we'd do before 30. Yeah. I come home from Helmand towards the end of 2007, um, come home with a beer in my bonnet about doing it. And early 2009, we self-supported, just sort of bought flights, visas and a map and just went off and done Everest Base Camp. And while we were sat in a tent, um, we were both discussing plans to propose to our respective lady friends and sort of grow up and be a bit responsible. But we're like, oh, yeah, but... And, uh, yeah, we come up with this idea that what if we could do this as a business? What if we could take our love of crazy adventures or the mountains and being outdoors and, and do it for other people? Um, and at the time, it was sort of centred around what if we could bring guide people to every space camp? Um, wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a great story. Um, what was the process and was there any sort of, maybe fear is the wrong word, but was any sort of doubt in taking on such a mammoth task? Did you, barring your military experience, which we'll get on to, what was your background in the outdoors to be able to be so confident in, in tackling it? Um, so my background in the outdoors, I mean, I'm a, I'm a London lad, John. Yeah. So, you know, my, my idea of the outdoors originally was like the park. Yeah, um, yeah, the park. But I sort of got into, I always enjoyed being in the outdoors. Uh, joined the army cadets and then the army and realistically it's a course in the army messing around in um, the Brecon beacons and running around there sort of made me go oh mountains these are pretty cool aren't they these are a bit of a challenge um and funnily enough when I was I was training to get fitter running around in, in Brecon the best mate that I took to every space camp well I didn't want to be suffering silence on my own did I so while I was training for the course I dragged him along with me sort of um so he had to like the mountains whether he liked it or not. <laughs> and uh, was there any sort of like, should we or shouldn't we hire a guide? Or what, what made you be so bold and brave to think, do you know what, we're just going to go and crack it ourselves? Um, and how tricky was the navigation? Like when people think of Everest Base Camp, you know, talk us through the process of landing to get into Everest Base Camp. Um, so what made us decide to do it? First of all, that guide is there was a lad that I was serving with in Helmand 
that had done it in, um, in the run-ups deploying. He knew he was going to deploy. He was a, a TA lad. Um, and he'd just gone and done it the way that we were talking about doing it. He, he bought a map, flew out there and, and done it off the cuff. And uh, hopefully he's not listening, but I sort of looked at him and the standard of soldier that he was and thought, well, if he can do it, I'm pretty sure I can do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, and I've always been quite good with navigation. I was a navigation instructor for a while while I was in and, um, and taught bits and bobs. I've always been good with a map. Um, so yeah, we just sort of did the research and realized that actually, you know, it's, it's a trek. It's not, um, it's not, it's like, like leading a trek on a big long distance path, basically. There's, there's not, not really many ways you can go wrong. Plus, at a certain point, there's this massive, great big mountain on the horizon. So you're sort of steering in roughly the right direction. Yeah, um, reference point. Yeah. But no, you, you land, um, you get a little flight into Lukla, um, and you're sort of, there's, there's quite a few locals there, like Sherpas, that are sort of, if you wanted a bag of guide or a porter, you could literally just pick one up there. You don't, you don't have to have like pre-booked a, a big guiding company. Although I think the rules have changed slightly since we did it. So I think to protect like local industry and make sure that uh, the locals are being employed, I think if you're a certain size of group now, you have to take on at least a Sirdar and, um, and a porter. But yeah, no, we just bought a map, uh, worked out all of the acclimatization stops well, yeah. by, by basically going on all those trekking websites that, <laughs> that would charge you loads of money and going, all right, yeah, that's the itinerary on that one compared it about four or five to make sure we sort of got a rough idea yeah. um, and just went and done it. And I would say anybody with a reasonable bit of travel experience and a little bit of common sense could do it like that. And um, is it your aspirations to lead a group to base camp or would you like to go further? Um, oh, that's, there's two questions there, aren't there? Yeah. Trust me, John, if I had 50 grand, right, I would definitely want to go further. Um, it's been, Everest has been sort of, I mean, I, God, I could fill a 45 minute podcast just boring you with dodgy facts about Everest. I, I'm fascinated by it. Um, and as for guiding to base camp, originally, that's what we really wanted to do. But I think as Mad Dog Adventures has developed and we've done other things, um, we sort of think mm, maybe not. Yeah, it's, it's almost become, I get asked it all the time from people, oh, I bet you want to do Everest again. And I'm like, like, don't get me wrong, if someone said to me, oh, you know, your flight, your, uh, the guys, everything's booked and you go tomorrow, I would go and have a crack. But it's not on my list. It isn't like, you know, it's not like, oh, I've got to do Everest, I've got to do Everest. Um, for one, it's really dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and, I like that bit, funnily enough. Yeah, it's really dangerous. And, it, you know, from the stuff that we've seen this year and how dangerous it's been, there's a lot of people who shouldn't be anywhere near it sort yeah. of taking it on just because they've got the money, just because you can go and buy a, you know, a down suit uh, and a decent set of boots, that probably doesn't say, yeah, we'll go and have a crack. Um, but what, what, are they, what are they looking to do? That It's 50 grand, is it, to go past base camp? Is that much R- roughly, yeah. And it depends what company you go with. You can do it a lot cheaper. You can, you know, you can do sort of a, a very, very low level of support, just sort of, use some base camp facilities and some oxygen and sort of say, well, I, I won't have a, a Sherpa and I'll just go up there on my own and just use another expedition firm's uh, preset camps. Right. Um, and you can do it cheaper. I mean, I think a couple of years ago, somebody said you can 
at the absolute bare minimum, you can do it about five grand, but then that's proper death on a stick. Um, but yeah. you, you're looking, if you, let's face it, if you're going to go out to Everest and you're looking at a three month long sort of expedition because it's two weeks to walk to base camp, you need at least two weeks just sat in base camp acclimatizing before you even start the siege on the mountain because they're up and down. Because yeah. um, by the end, they reckon you've climbed it like three times, don't they? Because you're up, down, up, down. Um, yeah, 50 grand is, 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 is sort of the money that you need in your pocket for a really good company. I don't think anybody, if you're going to waste three months of your life and time off work, and like you said, put your life at a, quite a big risk, mm. you don't really want to skimp on it, dear, and go on, go on the um, sort of five or ten grand option. <laughs> yeah, I'll, go on the, I'll go on the Biffers option. No, thanks. Yeah. Not, not up there. Not with the risks that come with it. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting one. How long were you out there for when you did it? So we were out there for just about two and a half weeks. Um, so we literally, we landed at like a day in Kathmandu, flew out to Lukla the next day, getting a little internal flight, which is a little bit hair raising. I think it's, it's one of the highest runways in the world and it's uphill to slow the, the aircraft down. Um, one of the lads that was with us on that trip, there was four of us went out there. He's uh, ex-Airborne uh, Forces, ex-Para-Reg and, you know, very sort of macho, I'm I'm the I'm this that and the other. He was practically squealing in the aircraft. Um, yeah, and I think all in our trek was about 13 days because we carried all our own kit. We didn't have porters, so we added an extra days of climatization in to be sensible. So that's good. Yeah, that's good. Is there any any ideas to go back? I'd love to. I'd love to go back. Um, I'd like to go back and do one of the trekking peaks. They call them Mira or Island Peak, which um, they, they call them trekking peaks, but that's because everything else is so yeah. hardcore. But, you know, they're over 5,000 metres and involve a little bit of rope work and, you know, a little bit of technicality, yeah. I'd, I'd love to. It was such a friendly country, and it's just just being stood amongst the mountains of that size is... Mm. It makes you realise, doesn't it? Um... It definitely does make you realise I've only I've only done one one big 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 mountain and you took sort of realise when you stood there in the big territory and you watch it telling you that you know that you're up to three and a half four thousand metres that you're you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's humbling, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know you know, uh sort of we're lucky in the UK we've got a great we've got lots of great diverse mountains and um the well mapped and, and all the rest of it. And, and Scotland itself can be very, very, very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, it's not to be underestimated. Um, what do you think is sort of, where do you want to go with, with Mad Dog? What sort of adventures do you want to offer for, for people listening? Um, well, next year we've got our first international exped for clients. So up until now, we've, we've concentrated on stuff in the UK for our clients. And then personally, we've gone off and had fun abroad and people have asked what would be our first international trip. And I think because of what we've just discussed, a lot of people thought it would be Everest Base Camp, but um, really looking forward to going to take some clients out to the jungle next year and sort of looking forward to that. Where, which jungle? Where? We're going to Malaysia. So we're going to Langkawi, which is um, just off of Thailand. Um oh, we was looking at Brunei, but there's, uh, that one's a little bit up and down with some political issues. So we sort of thought Langkawi was a safer bet. But. And what, uh, what sort of things were you doing in the jungle? 
So it's a four day, so it's a, it's a trek in the jungle, realistically. It's, you know, walk all day and, and camp at night, but, um, well, it's not walk all day. There's, there's a, it's a survival course, if you like, built into a trek. So it's yeah. four days and each day learning more skills. So look, hopefully by the end of it, somebody could feel confident to maybe go and have their own mini adventure in the jungle. How, uh, here's a nav question for you. How do you nav in the jungle? A lot of bearings, a lot of pacing, altimeters right. really helpful. Right. And, and pretty much what you're looking at is you're bouncing between the river, which is handy because you want to get in it and cool down. Uh, and ridges, you know, high ground, because anything between the river that's obviously clearly marked on a map and high ground, which we can tell on the map or with an altimeter, is just green. So, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I only briefly did a, a little bit of um, jungle stuff in Belize and stuff like that, but I think where you are going is, do they sort of have levels for jungles? Like, yeah. Like they, they say, don't they? There's different Secondary and primary jungle. Primary jungle, yeah. So sort of Brunei is full on, full on jungle, is it like? Full on triple canopy, yeah. Wow. Um, and do you have to sort of worry about any creepy crawlies and all that sort of carry on? Yeah, quite a bit. Um, I had a discussion with a client the other day on the phone and I, I sort of was talking about uh, the staff set up yeah. for it. And I said, there's two ways of looking at it. You can either see it as a real positive or it could frighten you that we've got an expedition doctor coming with us. Um wow. So, yeah, and, and I think that sort of sums up the some of the risk in that, albeit we're all wilderness first aid qualified um, and our sort of main jungle guide, he's a wilderness first responder, but we've got a doctor coming with us as well. So uh, things like centipedes, you've got big spiders. Um, the ants aren't, aren't particularly friendly, uh, but none of those will kill you, but the, the snakes certainly will. Yeah, definitely. What, um, when are you looking to do that? That's October next year. Yeah, October 2020. And what, um, sort of, what sort of, um, how do you set up, that's not like going to Cat Bells, is it? Like, how do you set up a trip like that? What sort of planning is involved? It's a fair bit of planning. I'm really lucky. You know, it's one of those things. It's not what you know, it's who you know. So, um, Mad Dog Adventures has got two, um, I suppose like members of staff or two really good friends that one of them lives in Brunei uh, and he's, and he's a professional uh, wilderness guide. And the other one, he splits his time between the UK, Norway, jungle, Canada. Now that's what he does for a living. And they've got the logistics set up to do all the trips there. Cause obviously I can't sort of pick up enough gear for mad dog adventures and put it on a flight and take it out there. You've got to have that sort of, a link in, a, a link in yeah, that, that have got stuff in that part of the world, you know, vehicles, um, some of the bigger kit and that. So we're very lucky in that we've, we've got like a logistical connection um, and then a little bit of extra luggage as well. I'd like to sort of test myself in the jungle navigation-wise. I think that would be tricky. Um, I think it would be uh, because obviously GPS and technology won't really work, will it? Because it, can't get through campus. No, I do. We've got um, we've got Garmin units that have GLONASS as well as GPS on. So GLONASS is the Soviet set of satellites, or Russian, I shouldn't call them Soviets. Uh, <laughs> throw back to the Cold War. <laughs> but, um, and they tend to get better penetration through the canopy, right. but nothing is foolproof. So it's not a case of absolutely just will not work. 
Um, and by having a, a unit that does GPS and GLONASS, you can look, you're giving yourself the best potential. But realistically, you're still looking at, if you want to know exactly where you are, you're probably going to have to gain higher ground and put some work in. Um, and, and the concentration factor with NAV there in the, in the rainforest is sort of, you, you can't afford to take your mind off of it. So like you can, in the UK mountains, there's, there's that element, isn't there? If you're really switched on, you've got the old 4Ds in your head and you can put your map away and, 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 and not have to check again. And um, you've got all the terrain features as you're walking along and ticking it off in your head. We just don't have that in the jungle. You're going to be sort of pacing and bearing. And And is there any sort of, is there any sort of um, tracks in the jungle made by either anim animals or any sort of, or is it just so dense you've got to just go machete through, through the country? No, when I, I never had to do any machete work or anything when I was in, in Brunei. No, it's not, it's not as bad as what, you know, um, that Hollywood image of like, Indiana Jones with his machete. South America, where you went, Belize can be a bit denser. It's like a, quite a dirty jungle, isn't it? So you've got the lower canopy can be really quite nasty and dense to push through. Um, walking through like the jungle out in, in Malaysia and, and Brunei, it's sort of akin to quite a dense forest, oh, if you, you know? Um, so it's not as hard to move through. There are parts where it's... Yeah it's quite difficult and obviously like any forest yeah wildlife creates paths and so do locals as well so you know we're the crazy sort of uh tourists that decide to go off into jungle but if, if you're in an area where you've got like a, a local tribe or the locals are moving about they'll always yeah. um, what's the um is there any sort of local tribes like is there i'm just thinking about like cannibal holocaust you know what i mean like just... <laughs> uh luckily Lanka, no um if you sort of decided to go off to somewhere like Papua New Guinea, then yeah. lo local tribes could be a concern. And we had a client go out there for a solo trip because um, one of the other things we do is sort of adventure or exped consultancy and sort of, oh, you know, train you up to go do yours. And, and he went to Papa and Papa can be quite volatile. So he went to Papua New Guinea on his own at a crack? Yeah. yeah. Wow. North to south. Um, and, and his, his aim was to go out, um, walk north to south solo, and in parts, when he had to actually push through the rainforest, he'd pick up a local guide. Um, and our advice to him originally was, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and when I said to him, okay, finally, you sort of beat us down. I said, look, you know, someone's got to train me. I want it to be you. Blah, blah, blah. So, okay, and then what level of experience have you got in the rainforest? None. Zero, but I'm having a crack. Yeah, but I want to do it. Um, what a bloke. Yeah, he's, he's quite, um, quite a character. He's, he's ridden a motorbike, I think it was east to west across Canada. Um, and then um, he bought a Canadian canoe and canoed for a month solo down the Yukon, Grizzly Territory, camping on his own. Wow, what a um, so sort of, yeah, so he's not, you know, although he had no jungle experience, he's not a, a, a wally. He's not a duck, as you would put it. Yeah, he'd have been, yeah. uh, wow. Well, I mean, yeah, you've got to be, that's, that's something that you have to take into consideration. Like these Hollywood movies, they may be sort of made up, but they've come from somewhere, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the idea, and I can see that sort of remote jungle tribes might not be like too too um, inviting to some bloke just bashing through the, do you know what I mean? They might be no. 
Right. And then... or, or at the very least, he's you know he's on his own. He's uh, potentially got some quite expensive, nice kit with him, and yeah. and that, and no one's going to know he's he's gone. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't even know how you get to Papua New Guinea. I mean, it's not like you just go and get down bosh. Papua New no. Guinea. Nah, no, that's a fair point. That's uh, that's interesting. How did you get into doing that? Then how did you get into sort of what do you call it consultancy? Yeah, consultancy. So we had. Um, We've got like a really good friend that makes custom knives, um, sheaths and sort of survival and exped equipment. And I had him make uh, me some custom equipment for the jungle and, and the discussions back and forth about what I wanted. Uh, and then when this um, client was, uh, we got mutual friend there. So when he got chatting to this lad about the jungle and said, you know, do you know anybody that could sort of give yeah. me some skills? and this um, Rue Titley's name is, he makes up custom knives and equipment. He put our name forward and sort of said, well, I know Mark and from Mad Dog Adventures, I've got jungle experience and I've been making things for Mark and, you know, from talking to him, he seems quite knowledgeable. So it sort of started off with a phone call, uh, some phone calls back and forth, some emails, and it sort of went from then. And he was, he was our first client that we did that for and sort of based on doing that for him, really enjoyed it, loved doing it. Um, sort of thought, yeah, that's something that we could do for other people. I quite like the idea of training somebody to do their bucket list. Yeah. Um, but somebody that didn't want to pay a company to do it, you know, didn't want to pay a company like us or um, another company. He wanted that feeling of it's his bucket list adventure. He's going to achieve it. But so if someone said to you, if someone came to you and said, "Mark, money's not an issue, uh, but I, I want to do Papua New Guinea, north to south." Um, name your price would you do it yeah sweet that is perfect. yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah we invested in some um some extra equipment after dealing with matt the client so you know we've got um, a few garmin inreach minis to give to our clients that are going off an expert and we can offer a sort of support service and we got him some maps but I, I can honestly say we got him some maps for an Australian company so you know part of that sort of consultancy if you like wasn't just the training and the skill set we um, ordered a lot of equipment in for him yeah. um, told him what he'd need and he sort of just said well just get it so got him some right gear we sorted out his mapping um, sorted him out a GPS unit and downloaded mapping onto the GPS yeah, but, but mapping was was difficult and it wasn't great. There are areas of Papa where the map is just green um, <laughs> with not much detail. Um, yeah. But yeah, from an Australian company, because it's quite close to Australia. Right, um, wow. But oh, it was tricky. Fair play to that bloke. Well, yeah, to be, <laughs> we told him not to do it. Two Royal Marine. Uh, and I think we're both jungle warfare instructors that crossed it north to south for help for heroes and were nearly killed by pirates. I got him a phone call with them and an email conversation uh, and they told him not to do it. And he managed to have a conversation with Benedict Allen, the explorer from the BBC, yeah, who was rescued from Papua New Guinea. And, uh, and he told him not to do it. So we all told him not to do it, but he wanted to do it anyway. And thankfully, he's alive. <laughs> He survived, so yeah. What a bloke! Yeah, yeah, I'm quite a bit of admiration for him. I really like the sort of mindset of, um, you know. I think 
there's a lot of, there's maybe there's not a lot of places left in the world. I don't know the world seems to be getting um sort of smaller and smaller, but that is like you know, a thousand people from Instagram aren't going to descend on Papua New Guinea next week. No. I don't think, oh, I'll just get this in my Instagram stories. Like, that is serious. Like, that is a full accountability session in Papua New Guinea. Like, there is no, there is no, um, I'm not really fancying this anymore. I think I'll just pull the pin, like, no, you're here now. And, um, yeah. you know, it could actually be the greatest trip of your life or you could die. Horrifically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I quite, you know, I sort of, I told him not to do it originally, but it was one of those things where that was the professional side of me and underneath the big kid in me uh, that watched too much Indiana Jones as a kid and that was going, yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, that is awesome. Um, you touched on it earlier there, Mark, about your, obviously your army career. What, uh, where did you go? Where did you serve? And what was your overall experience like in the army? Um, so I served in the Princess of Wales Royal Regiment. Yeah. Um, and it was a mixture of regular and TA. You know, I think, you know, probably same story as quite a few young lads. At one point, I left the army for a woman. Um, and that went wrong, so I went back um, and did a bit of reserve stuff as well, you know, because so for a while I was in the, the TA and, and kept mobilising myself. I think wife number one was quite put out, but I left the army. And then a month later, I volunteered to go to Kabul. And, um, and she said I went away more when I was part-time than I was full-time, but... So, yeah, did that for 12 years. Um, did a tour of Kabul in 2003 during the Iraq invasion. Yeah. Um, and then did Helmand, did Herrick 6 in 2007, which was quite a fruity tour. Um, it was a, out there with the Royal Anglins and the Glen Guards. Uh, we was like a composite company. Um, yeah. And I loved it. You know, I was, yeah, so I was infantry. Um, I was a sniper. Worked with Recky Platoon here and there. Um, I just liked falling around in the mud and the dirt and sort of, you know, I'm a big kid. Would that have been, were you there during the winter or summer? Summer. Summer, yeah. Yeah. So literally, if you were on, you you say, sorry, you said you did Herrick 6. Herrick 6, yeah. So it was the, when I'm talking to civvies, I always tell them, have you seen that Ross Kemp programme, the first one? Yeah, that that was us. Like, I think, I think 6 was like, I think, the, I mean, Camp Bastion then was just a runway, wasn't it? Like, there wasn't anything. Yeah, like, yeah it was, It was, and you could only land Herks on it. There was no, um, yeah. there wasn't much RAF there. There was no RAF Reg. Um, so we were having to take on the uh, infantry call sign with Mert. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a short runway for Herks to come in and out. And that was it. Mm. Shocking, yeah, mate. We didn't have a pizza hut in those days. It was, yeah. it was really hard work. <laughs> yeah, I mean... That must have been a that must have been a grizzer. I I did Herrick eight, and I think that was the closest I came to Vietnam. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. it was the it was the Wild West. Do you know what I mean? It really was the Wild West, and then it changed very quickly. Um, did it, did I? Yeah, it was crazy. It was absolutely mental. Um, what did you? I mean, I tell you what though, Afghanistan. They look like some really, really cool mountains. Yeah. It wasn't such a dangerous place and littered with landmines. I might be tempted to... Uh, there is a charity that actually does it, isn't it? There's a charity that is trying to put an Afghan athlete on Everest and is encouraging Afghans to get out and do mountaineering. And um, wow. In the wow. Wakan Corridor, there's a load of unclimbed 5,000-plus peaks. Uh, and the Wakan Corridor is relatively safe from the Taliban. And I must admit, in the back of my mind, I think, what a 
what, uh, how awesome would it be to sort of go back and do a climb on some unclimbed peak in the back of beyond in Afghan? Um, it's miles away from Helmand. It's up there near right, on the border with Tajikistan and China and sort of put Afghan to rest for me, but on a more positive note. Yeah, that's um, that, I remember like I, I was lucky. I didn't just stay in Helmand. We, 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 we did a few different provinces and, um, the ball uh, and, and, and sort of Helmand and, and uh, a few other sort of spots. But we just, some of, the, some of the scenery and some of the mountains, like, I was like, wow, that looks a beast. And you're absolutely right. When, when blokes can outrun um, uh, Apaches on, on, on mountainsides, <laughs> you definitely should be, uh, you definitely should be going up, up Everest. I mean, they're definitely hill fit. I'll give them that. Yeah. Um, if anything else, uh, what, what is there anything that you miss about the about your army days? What now? Um, yeah, yeah I, I, you know, I I've got a fairly good day job nowadays, and obviously I've got Mad Dog Adventures, mm-hmm. and I think Mad Dog Adventures and, or being an outdoor professional replaces yeah. a lot of the things that I missed mm. from the army. You know, an opportunity for leadership, bit of adventure. You know, the fact that I don't run it on my own, I've got two best friends that we run it with. So there's that teamwork, yeah. camaraderie. Um, but yeah, I, you know what? I, I still miss the army. Probably not every day anymore. I'm getting a bit better. Um, it's still sort of deeply rooted inside me. I would have said until got really into running the business. Weirdly, I still identified as a soldier, even though yeah. you know haven't been for ten years. Wow. And um, I think that's the same for me. Like I run my business, like it's 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 replacing the community. I think yes, yeah, because that's that's what you're trying to do, isn't it? That's what a lot of people are trying to do. You're trying to uh, recruit people into the ranks. You're trying to sort of um, give them give them targets, give them goals, and then sort of you know they become a part of your gang. And yeah, it, it becomes very regimented, very sort of regimented. That certainly from from my point of view, um, that's it's cool. And obviously, we met um, through Veteran on UK, which at the moment I think is just going from strength to strength. Yeah, they're smashing it. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? It's full of um, it's full of really motivated people doing some awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, what did you make of the Facebook London event? I thought it was uh, ten out of ten. I thought it was awesome. Um, there's sort of the main content from Facebook and Instagram was I think probably aimed at a level beneath where I've managed to get uh, yeah. three years ago that would have been awesome and could have saved me a lot of money because I wasted a lot of money on Facebook advertising um, but the networking opportunity the chance to meet people and also I think it's really nice to just to just sit there and have Facebook do that for you and you know Facebook doesn't always have a good reputation it made um, it's nice to be made to feel like your service and your status as a veteran that, that you matter and somebody wants to help uh, rather than just sort of, well, you're that weird little community over there. Um, it was nice to have a big mainstream group like Facebook going, no, you know what, you matter, you've got some skills. Let's just make the most out of it. Yeah, we, we're definitely making, we're definitely making a lot of noise. Um, and there was some, there was some sort of, you know, the, you met a lot of people, like you knew the Instagram accounts, but maybe you didn't know the people behind yeah. the Instagram accounts. So it was, it was nice to go there and, and, and 
and meet people and uh, listen to people's stories. But I know what you said, like if you were brand spanking you going in there and you were listening to some of the stuff, you'd have been like, oh, wow, okay. Um, but like myself, like yourself, I've put myself in touch with PR and social media companies where I've, I've leveled myself up and I've actually become good friends with a PR social media company where I'm from. And they've given me a lot of the skills, do you know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, look, that's, um, that's cool. But it was nice. It was a lovely venue. Um, the speakers were great. I thought, um, you know, how they managed to get some pretty high-ranking people there as well. Yeah. Um, and some, you know, to, to be uh, the Arm Covenant being signed by Facebook is a big, that's a big move, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a big deal, I think. And Scott's done an amazing job of um, building Veteran on UK. And it was great to see him up there speaking. And um, I felt really proud to be part of it, if I'm honest with yeah, you. Yeah, I did, mate. Um, I've learned loads from Veteran on UK, from the people, the other members. Um, and, and not just, like, learned quite a bit. I went to one of their first sort of networking events. Right. Um, met some good people and learnt loads there. Um, but it's not just about learning. I think I found it a really inspirational community to be a part of because all those like-minded people yeah. that, that really have the qualities that we've just talked about, like teamwork and camaraderie and stuff in the military, but all pushing forwards into like a new career or business. It's sort of, I find it quite an inspirational thing and you know you watch everybody sort of pushing hard in their different stuff and what's been really nice is for the most part not you know any community is not everybody's not all the same but for the most part people are really supportive of each other Uh, even where businesses sort of start to uh, cross over into each other's specialities you know we're talking right now on your podcast we're both mountain leaders but within the within the group everybody's just sort of like no no how, how can we sort of help each other how can we get stuck in and that is something I missed from the army that sort of yeah the teamwork aspect and not being selfish is it's really nice and like you say didn't see Scott up on stage um it yeah it made me feel proud to be part of the VOUK sort of yeah fold he did a he did a sterling job um and I've and I've mentioned it before but that for me he spoke really well he conducted himself really well and it was like yeah, I'm in the right group. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It made me say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sort of in the, uh, I'm, in, I'm in the right group. Uh, what's on the calendar for Mad Dog UK? What you've got some stuff coming up, haven't you? What's coming? Yeah, up? so we've got, uh, I've got the last big sort of mountain event of the year is in September for us because we have winter off mainly, and that's mainly so we can go and play ourselves in Scotland. Yeah because we're quite into the winter mountaineering. So, um, September's war stories and waterfalls. No, no, uh, it's not the one with Tanya. Um, it's, uh, war stories and waterfalls. So it's, it's basically, it's the fan dance route from selection. So we do that, but we don't thrash anybody over it. It's, it's that route, but done as a, a walk. And then every now and again, we sort of might just up the pace for five minutes just to give people a little taster of, what that's all about. And we time it so that we get sunrise on the oh. summit of Penny Fan. Um, and then Brecon, I don't know if you've done much in Brecon, like walking wise, rather than being thrashed. Um, yeah, but no, it's... I've, I've only gone round, I've only had two days. I, know, I mean, I loved it. I had two days down there. I thought it was really nice. Um... But there's loads of, there's loads of waterfalls. So 
day two, we just take them on a, a gentle walk around all these waterfalls. It's like a bit of a photographer's heaven with some immense waterfalls, some that you can walk behind. Um, we'll sleep out under a basher and have some stories around a campfire and, and that. Yeah, it's quite a nice weekend. It's a bit more of a chilled out weekend if you take out the 16 miler that, that you do on the Saturday. But, you know, compared to some of the events we do in the lakes and Snowdon, it's a little bit more um, relaxed. Yeah, um, I see. I think it's one of the most photographed summits, peaks, whatever you want to call it, um, Penny Fan. Obviously, um, the selection people have made it infamous, haven't they? And everyone said, yeah. I mean, I went there because of it, um, and to see what it's all about. It is, it is, it is, it is spicy down there. Like there is some, it is, it is spicy. Um, it was my first ever mountain I ever climbed. Oh really? Well, yeah, um, first ever mountain I ever. Um, stood on top of so there's a little bit of history for me at one point in my career I was running around like a lunatic trying to get super fit on that one um, and I think you're right I th- I, you know what that's sort of why we offer the event there's there's so much media around it now as well around selection and all these tele programs about it that yeah. you know people are curious aren't they but that doesn't mean they all want to get completely and utterly ragged over it either so we sort of offer the gentle option I mean, from the red phone box, it is it is a tough, it is a proper slog. Like, um, yeah, it sort of goes up and then drops down, doesn't it? That's right. Yeah. It goes across a little little bit of a stream and then it goes pretty much back up again on itself. It's a bit of a beasting, um, but uh, yeah, look, it, it. I suppose the Ad Middletons of this world and the other characters like that, and and the, and the exposure. You just ride on the on the exposure, don't you? Do you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah, I deal with events that you know, oh, that's popular, is it? Right, okay, Bosch, I'll go and put an event on Helvellyn or, you know, Blencathra or wherever it may be. Exactly. Um, you, you just jump on it, don't you? And- put your own spin on it, um, try and offer something different. There's there's two companies out there that do like a proper full Monty race over it with a weight and the DS and all that. And so if people want to go and do that, you know, I always point them in their direction and say, yeah. you know, that's not us. But if you just fancy sort of walking the routes, it's beautiful. Um, oh, yeah. And just sort of seeing a rough idea of what would be required, you know, and do it with two veterans as well. So both yeah. both our guides on it have done the fan dance. So cool. And I suppose do you roll do you roll the dice with the weather? Oh. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's Brecon, isn't it? Although I, I find that since uh, since I'm not wearing DPM anymore, and I've started to wear bright orange and blues and and uh, reds, you know, and become a civvy, that the weather gods in Brecon are a little bit more. Um, positive they're a bit friendlier to me yeah no that's uh, no, that's a fair point um awesome mate we're flying through it i knew we would uh, so we're going to sort of start to close down now with a part of the show that i really look forward to and it's becoming the highlight um the five watts so the first one is what's the greatest advice you've ever been given so uh it related to sort of rock climbing but i've sort of extended it to my life so uh i was I was climbing and I was getting frustrated that I couldn't progress past a, a certain point on a route. Yeah. And uh, the instructor said to me, the great thing about climbing is, is every time that you come to the wall or the route or the crag, uh, if you progress by just one move or one hold, that's progress. And that's how you've got to look at it. Um, and it sort of really resonated with me. And I think in, in modern life, we're all a bit sort of, you want everything now. Um, and I, I've sort of carried that advice over into life that actually, as long as you're 
you're making progress, no matter how small and you keep plugging away, then that's positive. Um, and that's something that I've, I've mentioned quite a few times to, to clients and things. I had one client that was terrified of heights and just sort of said, well, you know, if you just get a little bit higher every time, then you're getting there. It's progress. Yeah. It's like positive. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Uh, one, so we both, one step at a time, one, one hand. Yeah, one hand. foot in front of the other to use that cliche sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. military um, saying, you know, and, it, and it's true, isn't it? Certainly is true. Um, second what? Personal business-wise, what's on your bucket list? What's on my bucket list? So, um, I think we've covered it already. If I had 50 grand, yeah. Mount Everest. You'd be on yeah. Everest, yeah. 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 yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I know it's very commercial now and there's all these things about it, but the thought of standing on the top of the world just... Yeah, would you have a crack at it out of the season just for the lols? <laughs> God, no. <laughs> uh, what, a winter, a winter ascent of Everest? Uh, you wouldn't come off, would you? So it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> no, no, no. You know, I'd, I'd probably die with a smile on my face, maybe. But um, no, definitely. Having a white owl comes to. Um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dear me, I can't even imagine that. Uh, right, third one. Uh, what's been your toughest day? Um, personally, my I've been really lucky. So business wise, we haven't had too many rubbish days. So personally, um, me and my wife had couple of miscarriages um oh, so the wow. second second miscarriage was a, a massive blow and sort of set wow. a, a chain in motion that, that wasn't very nice for a couple of years so uh, that was quite rough and I, I think not many people talk about those things but no I think that's a proper knockout that. that's awful um fourth one uh what's your, been your happiest day uh see i've thought about this one so that connects to my worst day so part of that worst day was we were told we'd probably never have children and the best day of my life was the birth of my daughter. Wow, class. Um, yeah. No, that's really class, man. Um, a little miracle, so. Uh, yeah, no, that's class, a little miracle. Um, fifth one, uh, what's next either for you as a person or Mad Dog as a, as a business movement? Uh, I'll do Mad Dog for this one. We're, one of the most positive things we've had this year is finally after sort of three years of sending beggars, begging letters out, we've had um, a really generous landowner give us access to a rather large area of woodland um, oh. just outside the M25. All right. Cool. Um, just north of London. So for us, we can finally start to sort of show people that we're not just about mountains and do next year from March, we'll be running survival courses um, and expedition prep on our own site. You've obviously already thought of this, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Inner city London kids, mate. Bosh. You know what I mean? You've obviously thought that, you know what I mean? You're a smart guy, but that's a great marketing tool right there. Yeah. Although young people and kids, paperwork-wise, uh, well, you know, yeah, that's a, a headache. But yeah, we, we were approached by, been approached by a couple of scout groups already um, and one charity that does exactly what you just mentioned. Yeah, no, I think yeah. it's... Um, especially sort of what's... getting people into the outdoors. Especially what's going on down there at the moment... With all the sort of violent crime, it seems to be just absolutely going bonkers. And I think if people had, I'm not going to say that, or oh, go into the hills and they'll stop stabbing people, but, um, you know, if people had another outlet or yeah. passion that wasn't sort of crime-related or something that they could look forward to, then you don't just wake up and think, I'm going to go and stab someone today. There's a, no, a of course you don't. There's tons of factors in it. Yeah, there's, there's a long road into that. Um 
there's, a, there's maybe it's been a one, maybe it's one or two people who were born absolutely evil, um, but the rest, of, the rest of the other people are made evil by circumstances and situations. Yeah, hundred percent situation. And let's face it, if you, if you took um, beginning part of this year, I did some work with the Prince's Trust, and and that was taking young people that were going down a certain slope. Did three months with them and, and did some outdoor stuff. And you got to look at it that at, at the end of that, we we really helped two yeah. out of 15. Two people now, and I've got a job and I've got a future. One, funny enough, to join the army, uh, and the other one got an apprenticeship. Uh, and that's good. And, and that's how you got to look at it. It's a bit like that one step at a time thing. If you can help two people or one person, you're onto a winner. So, yeah, look, I'll, I'll sort of, I'll sort of um, just throw this one in there. What, I think personally, a year's sort of, I don't want to say um, national service, but sort of a year where, you know, you, you had some military training or you had a bit of discipline or you had a bit of structure, like you left school and you, you didn't have a job or you weren't going to college or you weren't doing this or you weren't doing that. Those people who have nothing, them's the people who fall into the traps of crime. Yeah. And if they had something where they had structure and, and routine for a year, that could save them. That could save them, and it could save millions of pounds being spent on a criminal justice system. Do you know what I mean? Like you could save. Yeah, well, no, definitely. You know, and if normal everyday people can think of this, then I don't understand why the politicians aren't saying. Well, if you look at the colleges running those public service courses, yeah, where the the teachers are either army, police, or fire, uh, and a lot of kids go on those because they they maybe not intellectual enough to do something else at college, but it keeps yeah. them in education. The success rate they have with those courses, uh, because they accept young uns that are maybe a little bit too disruptive for mainstream courses, has been really good. And, That's fair enough. You know, in some countries in the world, they do their national service in the community, don't they? Rather than sort of join the army, it's, well, you know, um, police, fire, Rambo, volunteering in the community, something like that. It doesn't have to be, uh, it ain't half hot mum sort of two years national service, does it? <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. Um, Mark, tell the people where they can find Mad Dog and, and do all your shout-outs. So, uh, website is www.maddogadventures.co.uk. Um, there's a contact form on there, but you can email us at maddogadventures at outlook.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook as Mad Dog Adventures. Um, yeah, that's it. And, and I'm on LinkedIn as Mark Cherry. So. Right, cool. Um, ladies and gentlemen, that's been Mark and Mad Dog Adventures. Um, drop some absolute... Um, bombs there and um, remember one foot in front of the other and uh, just buy a map and have an adventure and who knows you might start a business from it um, and if you want to go to Papua New Guinea for Mark and he'll tell you not to go uh, <laughs> or you can hire him and he'll go with you uh, so that's going to bring us nicely to the end of our Eagle podcast uh, next week on the show I've got a returning guest um, Becky the Traveller who has just done an absolutely epic um, east to west across the uh, United Kingdom uh, looking forward to speaking to her again it's going to be another knockout Mark thanks very much for coming on mate I'll catch up with Here's you later done. Cheers mate bye bye